You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. So with your Bible open, let's look at it. There is a purpose I must acknowledge. First of all, there is a principle I must affirm now. There is a purpose I must acknowledge. Now listen, do you think God makes up these rules just for fun? Do you think that the Ten Commandments, for instance, are just a set of rules that uh, God just made up just to see if you were willing to obey them, that it's really no skin off of his nose whether you obey them or not, that he's just trying to see how high you would jump to please him? Do you think that's why we have these Ten Commandments? Let me tell you that when God, now listen, when God created this universe and put you in it and set it in motion, and when God determined that you are to have a vital part in this universe, he created it in such a fashion that to disobey his principles will bring you in direct conflict with everything else in this world. As someone has said, the laws of God are like the grain of the universe. You can go against them, but you're going to get splinters. As someone else has said, the laws of God are like the ingredients on the package of life. You mix them up your way, you're free to do that, but if you do, you won't get what God pictures on the package. And when we take the principles of God and mix them up our way and not God's way, not only, now listen, not only do we fall out of fellowship with God, but we run against the grain of the whole universe. The unit, we, be, we become an anathema to the universe. We become something intolerable to the universe. Let me give you an example. Lot had two daughters. When Lot escaped from Sodom and Gomorrah, he escaped with those two daughters. Remember, his wife didn't make it out because she disobeyed God. She tried to do God's thing but her way. And so when he got out of Sodom and Gomorrah, it wasn't very long, and, and these daughters learned this from their daddy because on one occasion their daddy had sent them out into a group of perverted men so those men might do what they wanted to just so the angels who had come as guests might, might be left, you see. But those angels, you remember, down there in Sodom and Gomorrah, before it was destroyed, they saved those daughters. Well, now Lot is out here in this little town, and he's with his daughters. What do they do? They get their father drunk, and they commit incest with their father, a direct violation of a principle of God. They commit incest with their father. Now, the offspring of that incest happened to be two different tribes of people, the Ammonites and the Moabites. Interestingly enough, as these two groups of people begin to develop, it is obvious that not only are they just disobedient to God, but they have become the kind of people which will bring ruin to this world. Because, for instance, the Ammonites become temple prostitutes. The Moabites, in fact, begin to practice the awful practice of bestiality and have male cult prostitutes. And so there comes a time in their history when God says these two groups of people are going to have to be removed from the world. 
I mean, the earth cannot tolerate them. And you look at that perhaps, and maybe you have some pseudo-sophisticated friends who say, well, if God was a loving God, why would he destroy people by the hundreds of thousands? Why would he say all of the Ammonites or all of the Moabites or on another occasion all the Amalekites have got to be destroyed? That's not a very loving thing. I'm not so sure that's true because had God not destroyed them, there probably would not be a human race on this earth right now. We have already seen that perversion brings into the human life stream all kinds of illnesses with which we cannot cope, AIDS being one of them. And so what I'm saying is this. You can look at these principles of God and you can say, well, that's really nice, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to honor my father and mother. I want to live my own life. What I'm saying here this evening is there is a purpose which you must acknowledge. God has a higher purpose behind these principles than just getting you to obey. That's not the issue. He has a higher purpose beyond that. So I want you to look with me for just a few moments at what, are, what is the purpose of this commandment. Why would God tell us that regardless of the age and stage in life in which we find ourselves, we are to honor our father and our mother. Why would God tell us that? What are the purposes behind that? All right, let me suggest four to you this evening. First, we've said there is a principle I must affirm. Secondly, there is a purpose I must acknowledge. All right, what happens if you say, all right, God, I will fall in line with this principle? All right, let me suggest four things to you. First of all, you will, you will give the world a picture of your perception. All right, write those words down. There is in, it, in obeying this commandment, honor your father and mother, you will give the world a picture of your perception. You say, Brother Tom, what do you mean a picture of my perception? My perception of what? Well, first of all, you give the world a picture of your perception of God. When you obey God, do you get it? When you obey God, you are telling the world what you think of God. That's why Jesus said, don't you call me your Lord if you don't do what I said. Or he says, if you really love me, don't just sit around and tell people you love me. Do the things that I say. Keep my commandments. And so you're, you're giving the world a picture of how you perceive God. You're saying, in my life, God is boss. Young people, don't disobey your parents and then say you love Jesus. Don't disobey your parents and say Jesus is your Lord. Don't slam the door or walk out of the room with your nose up in the air in a huff because they won't let you do something or they've forbidden this or said this is a rule or you have to be in here. Slam the door, storm out, act like a great old big baby and say, but I love Jesus. I really love Jesus. No, you don't. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And one of my commandments is honor your father and mother. Mom and dad, don't you let that mom and dad languish away in some retirement center, some nursing home, never visiting them, never caring for them, considering them to be something that's just a burden and uh, just weariness to your life and, and refusing to honor them. Don't you say you love Jesus. Don't even say, well, I got so many things to do at church. I can't take care of my mom, can't take care of my dad. Oh, yes, you can. You can honor your mother and father. Don't say you love Jesus if you do not honor your mother and father. You are picturing your perception of God. If God's boss, you will honor your father and your mother. Secondly, it's a picture of your perception, not only of God, but of God. It's a picture of your perception of God's delegated authority. You see, God has established certain authorities in your life. 
Government is one of those authorities. But the front line happened to be mom and dad. God has delegated, God has given parents authority in your life. Now, when you, when you honor parents, when you obey them, you're not only saying God's boss, you're saying anybody God has put in charge of me is in charge of me because God did it. Let me give you an example. Let's take the area of discipline, all right? Here's a child that disobeys. Here is the common approach. Grab, jerk, whack. And children learn how to get that backside of their body just out of reach of the whack. But also simultaneously to say, ah, so you think you did it when you didn't. And all you felt was a little breeze on your fingernails. They learn that, all right? That's the common way of doing it. What's the uncommon way? Well, the uncommon way is doing it right. Finding a place to be alone with that child so that you don't break their spirit. You want to break their will, but not their spirit. If you discipline them publicly like that, they're going to feel like they've got to get back at you, you know. They've got to sass you because they've got to maintain some dignity. But finding a place that's alone, establishing what happened, what did you do? Well, she, no, what did you do? Well, but they, no, what did you do? I kicked her. All right, that's what I want to know. What did you do? Why do you do that, parent? All right, listen, why do you do that? Because children need to understand that there is never a good excuse for bad behavior. That what somebody else did does not justify their acting bad. It, that, that it's, it's irrespective of what somebody else did. They are responsible for their actions no matter what. Because later on when they get to be a teenager and all of them go drink, or all of them shoot up or take pills or go out for the night or sleep with somebody else. And they say, but everybody else, you can say, hey, look, but in our family we have established that just because everybody else does it is no excuse. All right, so you say, what did you do? What did you do? Now, if you're going to discipline them, it better be something that is a violation of something you've made real clear. I mean, don't just come off the wall and discipline them something you never, thought, you never stated to the child. They at least deserve to hear from you what it is. And many children never hear about anything until they do something wrong. But at least you, you ought to do them that service and give them that respect. Then someplace in that conversation, before the discipline, which I, I believe ought to be definite, but someplace in that conversation, there ought to be a statement that, that, that communicates the following. Look, God has given you to me, to your mom and I, or to your dad and I. You are a gift from God. We treasure you. But along with that gift, he has given us the responsibility of teaching you respect and obedience. It's not just you getting messed up if you mess up. I've got to look God in the face and give an account for the way I have done what he asked me to do, which is to teach you to love him, to respect him, and to obey him. What are you saying to that child? You're saying... I'm not just whacking you because I'm upset. I am God's appointed authority in your life. I'm doing this because I must give an account to God for the way that I rear you as a child, you see? Now, there are other things that you ought to do in discipline. I mean, there's several other things that are very important. I don't have time to talk about them tonight, but I'm saying that before you lose it in the pushing and shoving and the screaming and all the things that will happen if you don't do this, 
You ought to have some kind of a calm talk that communicates that the reason you are in that room alone with that child and the reason you're going to have to discipline them is because God has appointed you as the authority in their life. And when you honor your mother and your father, you're not only showing your perception of God, you're showing that you have a perception of God's appointed authority. Now, parents, we have the responsibility here, again, of teaching that. You also show your perception of yourself. When you honor your mother and father, you are showing what you think about yourself. You see, the refusal to honor them says, I am a law unto myself. Watch out, world, here I come. You know? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wade into you, and I'm going to do things my way. I'm number one. I'm going to get it my way. So when you honor your parents, you're saying, no, I'm not number one. Jesus is number one. No, I am not the most important person in the home. Does that come as a surprise to you parents that your child should not be the most important person in your home? They shouldn't. Mother, you should never say my number one responsibility is to love my children. No, it's not. It's to love Jesus and love your husband. Dad, it should never be, well, it's God and my work and my family. No, it should be God and your wife and your family, then your work. But your children, children are not the most important people in the family. By the way, that's one of the dangers of saying, well, I'm going to work until the children come along, and then when, I work, and when the child comes, I'm going to quit working. Because what happens is, what, what you're doing is letting that child develop a whole new schedule in your life. You're learning how to become a parent before you've ever learned how to become a partner. And that child comes in, you shut down work, you've done everything, and the child becomes the focus of attention. The world revolves around the child. The child picks that up. But when you honor your father and mother, you are saying... I have the proper perceptive perception of God. I have the proper perception of God's delegated responsibility, which is my parents and our delegated authority, and I have the proper perception of myself. If you say, I'm number one, I'm going to get my way, it doesn't make any difference if the rest of the family is, is, is troubled by it. it doesn't, I don't care if my parents stay up late and worry about me and pray over me. I don't care. I'm going to get my way. Listen, friend, you have set yourself up for the big fall because God, God resists the proud, and that's pride. Lift it up right out of hell, right out of Satan's talk. I will be number one. I will ascend to the sides of the north. I will become like the most high God. I'm going to call the shots. You're talking like the devil when you say I'm going to be number one. And so when you honor your father and your mother, first of all, you are giving the world a picture of your perception. What do you want the world to think about God? What do you want the world to think about God's delegated authority? What do you want the world to think about you? The, the greatest compliment that can be said of you is that you honor your mother and father, that you honor your mother and your father, your father and your mother. All right, a picture of your perception. All right, here's the second thing that will occur. It will position you for protection. It will put you in the position for protection. Now listen, if you do not honor your father and mother, you say, yeah, I hope my teenagers hear this. No, listen, as a 40-year-old, 50, 60, if you are not honoring your father and your mother, you are not in a position where, God can where you are under the protection of God. You say, but oh no, I've married and we have our own family and I don't even like my parents. And they, Hey, you are out from underneath God's protection. You see, when you honor your father and your mother, you are positioning yourself for protection. You're staying in the pocket. 
You're in the right spot for protection when you honor your father and mother. Now, why is that so? Because God gives to parents the sense of protection. You say, well, my, the thing that really bugs me, teenagers say, the thing that really bugs me about mom and dad, they always say do this or don't do that or that's dangerous, but they never tell me why. Hey, listen, they don't owe you a why. Does that come as a surprise? It's nice if they can, but they do not owe you logic for their decisions. I mean, a little child out in the street, truck bearing down on that child, that parent screams, get out of the street. That parent could care less whether you understand why. And if you don't honor your parents, you're going to die. You see? The logic is, is irrelevant whether you totally understand it. But if you honor your father and your mother, you are positioning yourself for protection. This would straighten out some of the problems that you all have had. Whether you're single or whether you're married and you've got all kinds of problems in your life, you look back, you say, why is the devil able to get to my family, my marriage, my life, my business? Could it be that the violation of this commandment has taken you out of the protected position and that you need to design a project to go back to that father, that mother, do whatever you can to express honor to those parents because it positions you for protection. God just gives that to parents. Let me give you an illustration. In all of my married life, and with the life that Jean and I have had together raising our children, I hate to use your, you know, you're not supposed to use your own children as an example, but I, I want to just become very personal here. To my knowledge, and I'm sure there may have been other times, but I'm not aware of them. To my knowledge, there's been only one time when I have had that sense that something was not the will of God, but I have gone ahead and let my family proceed in a direction that I just had... Can you say it? A gut-level spiritual sense that it was wrong. I couldn't explain it. I didn't know why. But I said to my wife one day before packing my bags and leaving for South Africa, for some reason, I don't feel right about this. Now, what is a father supposed to do in that situation? He's supposed to shut it down, guys. Hey, that's true about their dating life. Now, kids, understand this. Your parents have that privilege, that responsibility, even in regard to who you date, where you go, what you do, who you run with. It is enough that you just have a sensitivity that is wrong. Well, I had that sensitivity. I've always obeyed that sensitivity, but on this occasion, I thought, well, we've already made a commitment, and Jeannie's already supposed to do this, and the kids are already supposed to do that, and I'll let them go. Did you know? But that was the occasion when my wife and all four of my children ended up on the side of the road in a tragic, tragic accident with one of my children severely injured. And one of the first things I did was go to the bedside of that child and say, I must ask for your forgiveness. You say, why, Tom? You were clear down in South Africa. You were over 1,200 miles away. That's right. That's exactly right. I did not obey that spiritual sensitivity. The other side of that coin, is, uh, coin, though, is equally important. When your parents relate that to you, I don't feel good about this, I have, I, I'm not sure about this, instead of saying, you're just an old fogey, you don't know what's going on, you better listen to that. I remember one time one of my daughters, and I don't think that it would be out of school for me to tell this, one of my daughters getting in from a basketball game, a call from the school, as she normally would, and said, look, some of us are going out to get a Coke. And, I mean, that was very common. 
I said, not tonight. Not tonight, why? I mean, what's different about tonight? I don't know, but I don't feel right about it. Oh, come on now. I mean, just because you don't feel right about it, not tonight. I've learned my lesson, not tonight. Now, I dressed and drove eight miles through the snow, picked up that child, came home. The air, there was a chill on the meeting. And um, when we got home, you know what we found out? When that car had, that, she, that she would have been riding in pulled out of that parking lot of the school, a projectile came through the window on the passenger side of the car where she would have been sitting with enough force that the splattered glass cut the face of the young man who was driving. She could have even been killed sitting there. You see, God just puts it in a parent's heart. And kids, you ought to thank God he does. God's given them that responsibility. You say, well, my parents owe me an explanation. No, they don't. On the other hand, parents, you owe it to your children to be shut up enough to God to be able to listen to him when he speaks and not just to do something because it's an inconvenience to you or a trouble to you or you just don't want to do it tonight. You see, when you honor your father and mother, you are positioning yourself for protection. You pull yourself out from underneath that honor, you slam the door in their face, you go start the car, you race out of the driveway, and friend, you are open game for the devil. Your parents tell you, I want you to be morally pure, yet you meet somebody and you're so cockeyed sure you're going to marry that person that it's all right for, for you to go to bed with him or you to go to bed with her and you say this is all right, you will suffer the consequences. You say, well, what if I don't get pregnant? What if I don't get syphilis? What if I don't get some other venereal disease? What if I don't get AIDS? What do you mean? That's the consequences? No, there are even worse consequences than that because when you engage in premarital sex, you have just said to God, the world, and the person you're in bed with, God's not my boss, my body is. And those are the worst consequences of all. You've just telegraphed your value system to the world. So when you move out from underneath, this position of protection, you do it by failing to honor your father and mother, all right? First of all, you picture your perception. Secondly, you position yourself for protection. Thirdly, when you say, I'm going to honor my father and my mother, this provides for your preparation. This provides for your preparation. That is your schooling. This now becomes the proper environment in which you can learn something. Now, education specialists, and we have several here this evening, will tell you that between 60 and 80% of education is based upon discipline or a proper concept of authority. I could ask some of these experts, like Dr. Tom Hollis and some others, uh, this question. I believe, where is Tom? He's seated here someplace. All right. Am I right in saying that? Between 60 and 80% of learning is based upon an understanding of authority, an understanding of discipline. So if you remove a concept that your parents are the authority and listen, and that that teacher in the home is an extension of that authority, and by the way, let me say, parents, many of you have been guilty of abandoning that responsibility. Now, what, you know, we are, we are victims of a mess we have created for ourselves many times in the education circles. And so you can sit around here and bellyache all you want about what's happening in, in schools, 
But let me just tell you that what's happening is happening because parents are not getting involved. Because you are not showing yourself, uh, uh, making yourself known that you consider that school to be an extension of your home, not your home as a substitute, you see? See, some of you have never even met. You don't even know the people that have your child more hours a day than you do. Why, you may be sending your child off to school to somebody you wouldn't trust to babysit in your home, who wouldn't have the moral caliber, the lifestyle, the commitment, the faith to babysit one of your children in your home. And yet you are so uninvolved, you just send it off, don't bother me with that, get them out of the house, you see. But somehow it needs to be communicated this school education is nothing more than an extension of my home. And to the extent that it becomes an abrogation or an aberration of the values that I have in my home, buddy, I'm going to have to be reckoned with. You're going to have to deal with me. I'm going to be vocal. I'm going to be adamant. I'm going to get involved. Now, the other side of that coin says this. When that teacher, whom you have said is to represent you and your authority in the home, when that teacher disciplines your child, don't just always take up for the child. Bless your poor little heart. You know, your teacher's just, you know, this. Your teacher's just that, oh, you poor little, you know, you know we just know that. You know, what does that do? All right, that cuts authority right out of the learning process because when respect goes, authority goes with it. And most of learning is based upon authority, respect, understanding of discipline. So when you honor your father and mother, you know what you're doing? You're saying, I am going to learn something. You are, you are providing for your preparation for life. I'm going to be a learner. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives great blessing to those who are meek. You know what that word meek means? It means halter broken, trainable. And to honor your father and mother makes you a trainable person. Otherwise, you're saying, I'm the ultimate authority. Don't care what the teacher says. Don't care what mom says. Don't care what dad says. I'm the ultimate authority, and I don't like it. I'm not going to do it. And when you rule God out of the school, that's what you get, by the way. You set man up as ultimate authority, and it's just one man against another as authority. It's a, there's a struggle going on, you see. That's why Karl Marx says the key is to get humanism in the school. That's why Gloria Steinem, I read it this morning, says we're going to rule out God. We're going to teach in human potential, not man's. Abraham Lincoln said, by the way, that the educational philosophy of today becomes the political philosophy of tomorrow. And if you say that in the educational philosophy of today that the key is to develop me, myself, and I, and the secular humanist approach, then all the political philosophies of the future will say it's me, myself, and I, let the world go hang, let the government go hang, let my neighbor go hang, let the economy go hang. The key is for me to get what I want. And you have anarchy in the government. And we will have it. We will have it in our government if we press on with a secular humanistic approach. Now, what am I saying? It all begins with an understanding of the importance of honoring your father and your mother. Because until you learn to honor your father and mother and the people who are delegated as authorities in your life, you are not going to be a learner, not a good learner, not a positive learner, but that provides for your preparation. Have you ever wondered why some educated people are failures, why some uneducated people are successes? The issue is not whether education is good or bad. The issue is whether in that education you also develop respect for God 
and for God's authority in your life. And so you are providing for your preparation when you honor your father and your mother. And when you go to a school where they say, well, parents don't know anything, you're the parent, not the teacher, I'm the teacher, uh, well, then you've got a real problem, you see. You've got a real problem. Or when a parent says, I don't care what you do, just do good at school. I don't care what you're learning. Just get, as long as you bring home good grades, as long as you pass, or as long as you get your degree, I don't care what school, don't care where, don't care how far I have to send you. My great gift is going to be to send you off to somebody to get you educated, and I've done my thing for you. After all, I gave you a college education. That's not enough, folks. Because honoring your father and your mother is the key. By the way, do you know, I believe, as far as the Scripture is concerned, I'm, I'm going to say this as reverently as I can, as far as the Scripture is concerned, there is more to be said for children remaining at home during their college years than we have suspected. Three judgments of God against nations out of His will are high interest, foreign ownership of land, and the separation of parents from their children. And many parents think the best and last and greatest gift they can give is to send their child away someplace for an education. I heard someone say one time that it's not so important what you are learning as it is who you are learning under. And there's something about maintaining that cohesive, that wonderful rapport, you see. And so don't, you parents who say, well, I can't afford to send my child off some big private school, I feel real bad. Don't feel so bad about it. It could be a great favor that God is giving you. You see, the privilege of developing, walking through this whole development of character. Nothing wrong. I didn't say anything wrong with sending kids away. I'm just saying you ought to look carefully. You ought to look carefully not only at what is being learned, but who or under whom they are learning. Who are those people? What kind of character do they have? How do they live? Do they love Jesus? How much of an impact do you want them to have on your children? We had a, a, a great young preacher boy that came out of a church I pastored one time, went through seminary, red, hot, fire-breathing, fundamentalist man. I mean, he loved Jesus with all of his heart. He went off to one of our Baptist schools, a university, came to a camp where I was preaching the next summer and said, I want to show you three mistakes Jesus made. He said, my professor has pointed these out to me. You see, it's not so important what you learn is under whom you are learning. What's the character of that man? that man? That young man is lost to the cause now. He is a, a radical liberal now. And the product of a school that he went away to attend because he was impressed with the professor and anything that professor said. And so when you honor your father and mother, you are positioning yourself for your preparation, all right? Now, <clears throat> finally, when you honor your father and mother, you are perfecting yourself for your partnership. You're getting ready to be married. You're making it right. Now, now, now please listen, some of y'all already married or some of you have been married or not. I believe what I'm about to say can heal many of the marriage problems that you're having, strengthen your marriage before you leave the building tonight. I really believe so. That it could, that, there could be homes which are fractured that could be healed tonight if you would determine that you're going to develop some projects which express honor, respect, and love to your parents, even if they're dead. 
where you say, I've got to go back and make some confession to God and confession to my marriage partner and my family that I have not done it right. You see, Dad, Mom, listen, there's nothing wrong with going to your family and saying, I have goofed, I need to ask you forgiveness, but between now and when I die or Jesus comes, by His grace, I'm not going to goof again in regard to my responsibility as a dad or a mother. Nothing wrong with saying, I'm sorry. Forgive me. A whole lot better than going on arrogantly and not doing anything about the mistakes you've made. Be quick to apologize. Your children ought to see that in you. They ought to see you as a person who quickly admits when you have been wrong. All right? It perfects you for your partnership. A person is not ready to marry until they honor a father and mother. You should not even think about marrying until you honor... Are you listening, young people? Until you honor your father and mother, you should not even consider marrying. You're in, you're in no... You're not in any state of readiness for marriage. You see, some of you are saying, I want to get married so I can get out of my home and get away from my mom and dad. That's the very reason you should not get married. Because until you solve that issue you are simply going to carry it into your next relationship. And this is why so often, young ladies, for instance, who just despise their mother, I can't wait to get out of home, she's just on my back all the time, the last thing in the world I want to do is be like my mother, are absolutely shocked when three weeks into their brand new marriage that delivered them from their home, that frustrated husband puts his hands on his hips and looks at her and says, you're just like your mother. Because you didn't solve it. You didn't come to a position where you were honoring your father and your mother. This is why you guys who say, man, I cannot wait to get out of my home. My parents are so oppressive. The best thing for me to do is to get married. And by the way, some of you make the horrible mistake of doing this. You say, I'm going to have sex and get pregnant or I'm going to get her pregnant. Then we'll have to get married. What you're doing is shoving yourself into a position you are in no way ready to handle. And you're using a big bargaining stick, you see. You're saying, pregnancy, we'll get a big bargaining stick. That's a great way to start marriage. Under the pressure of sin and disobedience and a failure to honor parents. So as you honor your father and mother, you are perfecting yourself for your partnership. You're getting ready to be the kind of partner you ought to be to a husband or to a wife, you see. That's why it's so absolutely necessary. You say, well, now, wait a minute. What if I do have bad parents? What if they have all kinds of bad habits, all right? Remember, I didn't say that you had to appreciate everything about their lifestyle, but you have to consider them as significant, worthy of your love, worthy of your respect, worthy of your attention, and worthy of your developing ways of showing your appreciation and love for them, bringing God into their life. Could be that God gave you the parents you have so you could lead them to Christ, but you never will when you don't honor them. You're not going to badger them into salvation, believe me. And it could be that your attitude is the one thing that's keeping them from the Lord Jesus, you see, right now. One of the requirements in our marriage counseling here that we have is that we will not perform a wedding for someone unless the parents on both sides don't just give in but actually encourage the marriage. You say, Brother Tom, that seems mighty unfair. But I'll tell you what, I'm happy to tell you that since practicing the principles which I practice 
Back, starting back in 1975, of the hundreds of marriages I've performed, only two that I know of have ended in divorce, and on both of those occasions, one member of the couple has come back and said, well, we lied to you in the counseling. Now, I'll tell you what, you look at our current statistics in Oklahoma City, leading the nation in divorce, and I would opt for my plan over that plan any time. But one of the things I say is, I will not perform your marriage unless both sets of parents are 100% behind this. Encouraged, thrilled, eager for it. And in fact, I require a counseling session with those parents. And if I can't do it in the office, I'll do it with conference phone call, but I will do it. Why is that the case? Because otherwise, you have a young lady. She loves her parents, she loves her husband, but her parents and husband don't love each other. Well, that's a real pickle to be in. Same thing with a man. Or you have somebody who brings to the marriage altar resentment, bitterness, anger, a desire to escape. Is that what you want to bring to the marriage altar? Or should you bring to the marriage altar a life that says, I love my parents, I love God, I have sought to obey the commandment of God which says, honor your father and your mother. I'm giving you the very best person I can be. Bitterness and resentment will destroy your marriage. It's worse than cancer because cancer you get. Bitterness everybody gets. You splash it all over everybody, and you say, well, why would he say that I'm like my mother, I'm like my father? Why would she say that? Because you become like what you think about, and the most intense type of thought is anger and bitterness. Because then you're concentrating on the negatives of a person's life, and you can't keep from becoming like what you are concentrating upon. And so you will become that very person. Oh, it may play itself out in a different fashion, but you, in, in kind, you will begin to express those same characteristics that you failed to deal with in your own life. Well, let me close with this illustration. We'll come to invitation time because I believe there are people here who need to get right. There are couples here, probably couples been married for years, and you've wondered why we've got all these problems. Could it be you need to come to this altar and say, I see it now. I need to honor my father and my mother. I have spoken disrespectfully of them to my spouse or to my friends, or my boyfriend, or my girlfriend, or we have designed projects that would help us to disobey them. I am so angered by one of the, the advertisements I see on television where a young man calls a young lady, and she says, my parents are gone, and he says, thank you, God, for answering my prayers, and tries to get to her house. I'm going to write that corporation and tell them that they are contributing to the spread of AIDS in our nation. Some of you need to say, I confess I have designed projects to get around, to circumvent my parental authority. I have not brought honor and respect for my parents into my home. Let me give you this example, then we come to the end. A lady came to me some years ago, and she began to pour out her heart about all the problems she and her husband were having. And she said to me, I, I, I cannot love him. And frankly, I think he just uses me he doesn't have any respect for me, and I don't think he loves me. And then she went on to say, I think probably all he cares about is our physical relationship, and if that were not there, he would be gone. That's, I think that's it. She was surprised when I said to her, or asked her this question, tell me about the relationship you had with your father. She said, Brother Tom, if you would have known my father, you would have hated him like I do. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, my father divorced my mother 
When I was a young girl, she said, in fact, I was just a, in my early teens, maybe 13 or 14. She said, I had three younger brothers and sisters. I think uh, maybe a couple of brothers and a sister. And she said, when my mother left, then I became the one that had to do all the cooking and do all the caring for these children. And she said, one day, my daddy took us to an orphanage. And he said, children, I want you to look around here. This is a wonderful place. Play in the parks. Talk to these people, and I will be back. And she said, my father never came back. He didn't come back. And she said, I waited. And she said, even doing all the cooking and the ironing to me was far better than being separated from my sisters, my brother, and, and being separated from my daddy. She said, even with the problems, I loved him. But he was gone. She said, I waited for weeks. I waited for months. I waited for years. He never came back. And she said, I have this intense hatred for him. I said to her, you know, that is not an option a Christian has to hate. She said, but you don't... And I said, I heard your story, and frankly, that grieves me. But you see, the fact that that happened does not just cancel out Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother. I said, do you know where your father is? She said, he's, he's not a Christian, and I know the city he's living in, but I've never talked to him. I said, why don't we design a project whereby you contact your father? She said, now, wait a minute. I'm here because of my marriage. I said, just listen. Why don't we design a project in which you contact your father, and here are some things you need to just say by faith to him. She said, well, it had to be by faith because I sure don't feel it. I said, God didn't tell you to feel like it. Obedience has very little to do with feeling. It has a lot to do with honoring. And if, God, if you want to honor God, you're going to do what he says. And so we designed this little project. And the offshoot of it was that she called her father. And she, in essence, said, Dad, I need to ask you to forgive me. Because of my resentment, I have not prayed for you and loved you and honored you as I should have been praying for you and loving you and honoring you. He was startled to hear from her, broke down and began weeping. And she said when she came back to my office, she said, Brother Tom, it was not as I had thought at all. She said, when my daddy told me what really happened and about the intervention of the government and about his hands being tied, she said, all these years, because I've not been willing to talk to my father, I have lived hating him, not knowing the truth. She said, it is a brand new day for me and for my family and my relationship with my husband. It is a brand new day. Did you know that that so liberated that lady, that so set that lady free, 
that she began looking at the rest of her relationship with God and discovered that she was not even saved. She thought she was the only saved person. She discovered that she had never come to know Jesus as her Savior, but she had just dogmatically said, I'm going to be religious and I'm going to be right and look at them. They don't care a thing in the world about it. All of them, my husband included, don't care anything about it. She got saved as a result of that. Listen to this. Her daddy got saved. Now, friend, we're not asking this group to vote on the Scripture tonight. I'm just saying that there is a principle you must affirm and there is a purpose you must acknowledge. Now, the beautiful thing about it all is there is a promise that you can accept, and I'll talk about that this coming Wednesday evening. Father in heaven, my prayer is that tonight at this altar people would be set free. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, there are teenagers and adults here this evening who need to be at this altar saying, Lord, by your grace, I'm going to search out those parents and I'm going to seek to honor them, to love, to listen, to care. There are parents who need to come and say, Lord, by your grace, I'm seeking. I'm coming to you for forgiveness. I have failed. And I must now go to my children and say, I have failed, but I do not intend to let the rest of my life be a failure. No need for that. I'm not going to let past failures prevent present success. Now, dear Lord, I pray you do a work of grace tonight in the lives of people. Lord, there are people here who need to be saved tonight.